<clears throat> All right, good evening. Welcome back. So I wanted to start with a little bit of review and try, try to take us through again what we learned in the first two classes and try to really incorporate it into, you know, what a, what a tefillah, what a davening might look like um, incorporating the ideas that, that we've talked about. Now, everybody, when they pray, when they daven, each person you know, should, should pray from their own, their own heart, their own perspective, their own ideas. But we're trying to, what I'm trying to do is create a certain framework and perspective that we can apply and, and hopefully we can, you know, I don't think there's anything too personal about it. It's very general. And then everybody can plug in their own personal ideas and thoughts around the, the framework that we're creating. Again, if, if this framework doesn't, isn't for you, then, then there's plenty more out there. You know, there's, there's so many angles to tefillah. We, we mentioned last, last week that the, the, the prayers, at least the, the Shmona Esrei, the Amidah, is composed by the men of the great assembly, you know, 2,500 years ago, among them prophets. There's tremendous depth and power within the words themselves. And there are certainly many different ideas that can be applied to the words of tefillah. Um, what I'm trying to do is create a framework and apply it to the words in a, more, in a somewhat simple way that without getting too, too deep in, but of course you have to be a little bit deep when, uh, when you're talking about, about prayer and you're talking about the words of the, of the Shemona Asrei. So, so it's just gonna do a little walkthrough of what we've done so far. And it starts really with preparing ourselves before. Taking, before we begin to pray, um, taking a moment, a minute maybe, to, to contemplate, to meditate, to think about what we're about to do, what our goals are in, in prayer. And we can think about, I am about to stand before the master of the universe. I'm about to stand before God. Um, that itself should awaken us, should, should, should put a certain amount of, of reverence in our minds, and also joy. You know, I have this trem tremendous opportunity to speak to the creator of the world. He wants to hear from, from me. He wants me to connect with him. And then I want to clarify what my, what my goals are. Even before I open my mouth, before I start to pray, what are my goals for my, for my tefillah, for my prayers? So we, we talked about the goal isn't always to get the result of what I'm asking for. The primary goal of tefillah is to establish and develop within ourselves the sense, the knowledge, the clarity that God controls everything in the world and God is the one who can fulfill any of my needs and anything that I will subsequently ask of him, I can do so with the feeling that I have come to the right place. I'm speaking to the one who has the, the power, has the ability to provide for what I'm lacking. And if we create that framework, if we create that perspective, and then we start to speak with him and we start to ask God for the many things that we 
first of all, that that the the, the sages put into the into the um, prayers into the Shmona Asrei, and for our own ideas, our own thoughts that come to our mind, which will as we explore, we'll see there's probably a place for each one of those things somewhere in the in the many blessings of the Shmona Asrei. But as I now launch into my requests. So it's with a whole new feeling. It's it's like I've come. To, I'm speaking to the, the 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 master of the universe, the one who has the, the exactly the right one that I need to speak to to have my needs fulfilled. And and if, when I do so, it's a different type of feeling. I've clarified. I've come to the to, to the one who's in control, and I really have a great feeling as I speak to him, and I'm really speaking to him. And, and if I'm really speaking to him, then I'm connecting with him on a deeper level, which is ultimately the purpose. And maybe even the reason, as we mentioned, why I'm lacking something, why I need something in my life is God wants me to turn to him. God wants me to connect with him. And so I'm, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm clarifying for myself that I'm speaking to, to, to the one who can fulfill my needs, and then I request my needs, it's from deep in my heart, and I'm actually hopefully connecting with him. And if I prepare all that in my mind before, then it changes my prayers. It's a different, it's a different experience. And so we then are about to begin. And we are so awestruck by the opportunity to speak with, directly with God that we should be you know, nervous about it almost. And that's why we begin the prayers by asking God to open up my lips, you know, help me with this. I'm, it's like, so we said, like standing before a, a huge auditorium where you just get nervous, you know exactly what you want to say, but you're nervous. So the same thing, we come to God, we say, help me with this, help me. I'm, I'm standing before the, the master of, of the universe, help me open up my lips so that I can, I can pray. Is there a question? You have to, yeah. yeah. Uh, we're in God's presence all the time, so I don't understand. It's true. Why, like, so it's why, true. Why, but it's a it's a hard um, it, be in that space all the time. So it's it's a it's a very lofty level to be on that in that in that frame of mind all the time. If somebody could do it, then fantastic. Um, and and it certainly will guide a person's actions. You know, in the beginning of, of the Shulchan Aruch, in the Code of Jewish Law, that's that's how it starts. The it says, you know, I put God before me always. I that that's like an ideal state of mind, but it's it's not necessarily uh, easy to maintain. Certainly, when we come and pray, it's a unique time. It's a different type of God's before me. It's it, it, at that moment. It, so. Okay, so 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 now I'm going to just quickly, like we did, we we started going through the liturgy last week. I want to just we did kind of fast. I want to start with that, the first half of the blessing. Then we'll talk about some other things. Then we'll do some more liturgy. So keeping these ideas in mind, that this is how I'm going to approach my prayer. So we open with Baruch Ata Hashem Elokeinu. Blessed are you, Hashem, our God. Now we don't bless God. Um, God doesn't need our blessing. There may be a deeper Kabbalistic explanation that could explain what, how it could be that we're blessing God. But many, many commentaries explain that the word Baruch doesn't mean that we're blessing God. It actually is a noun, a description 
of God as Baruch, as the source of blessing. And what Baruch means is, you are the source of all blessing, God. So it's the perfect way to start our prayers, recognizing that God is the source of all blessing. And we say the name of, of Hashem, which is Ado and Nai, which means my master. And we are addressing God directly. Like it's a personal level, it's my master. It's, it's a, this is a, a direct relationship. When we address God as king, it's more general. A king doesn't necessarily, um, I mean, obviously God knows exactly what's going on, but when we think about the relationship between a servant and a king, so the king oversees the whole land. He doesn't have, you know, know specifically what each, each servant is doing. When we address God as my master, so a master and a servant have a, have a close relationship. The, the, they're, they're, they're working together. The master knows exactly what the servant's doing. The servant is reporting directly back to the master. And that's the relationship of, of, of us with God as expressed by this name of God, Ado and Nai, which means my, my master. So that's how we start. You are the source of all blessing, my master, who I can have a personal relationship with. And then we say, Elo Kenu, our God. And the, 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 this name of God, Elohim, or Elohim, which means powers. So Elo Kenu means, is, is from that name, it means our God. But it, it refers to God as the source of all powers in the world. So anything that we, it's the understanding that everything that we witness, anything, anything that exists has its source from God and is perpetuated really by, by God's will. We see, you know, a mighty wind blow. We see a storm. We see the sun, anything that we see that seems to, to have a, an impact in the world, whether it's something in nature. It could be also spiritual that we don't see it, but, but angels and things like that. This, this name of God acknowledges that God is the source of all powers and, and anything that, that seems to have power in the world is drawing it directly from God. Elokeinu, our God. Um, and then we say, and the God of our forefathers. And this, we this is where we, what we talked about last week, that our recognition of God comes from the long tradition from our, our forefathers. So we're not just walking you know, out onto the stage, this is a new thing. No, we have a long chain of tradition of number one, our relationship with God, but also the, the idea of what God is and how we relate to God as, as Jews. So, so, so far, you are the source of all blessing. My master, I'm addressing you directly, the source of all powers, who was the, who was the God of our forefathers, the God of Abraham, Yitzchak, and the God of Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, each of whom had a unique way of relating with God. And we could relate to God in one of their ways. We could relate to God in our own way. Each person may relate to God in a different way, but we see the forefathers each related to God in a different way. And then we describe God's attributes as we perceive them. And so we say, ha or in, it's Ha'el, which means the powerful one. We explained it means he's powerful in kindness. The whole world is a manifestation of God's kindness. God created this world in order to bestow kindness upon 
us. And then that's, that's a general description. And then we go into the, the specifics. So we say, Hagadol, he's great, which is great in kindness, which is the actual kindnesses that we see in the world, all that God provides for us, all the good that God wants to give to us. Um, again, as, as an attribute though, not as a, this isn't a verb, it's, it's, it's describing God as, as, as great in kindness, it's a description. Hagibor, the mighty one, the, um, or here it says the powerful, but he's, he's mighty or, 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 or powerful in the way that we explained it. Again, there's many different ways, but trying to relate it to what we're talking about is that he's mighty in his restraint, that God doesn't just bestow good on us without first testing us, because that actually allows for greater good when it's something that can be earned. So he's restraining his kindness, so to speak, to create this world for us where we can be tested, where we can be judged. But ultimately that's for our benefit. That's to, for us to be able to experience even greater kindness, having earned our relationship with, with God. So great in, Gadol is great in kindness. Gibor is mighty in, in restraint of that kindness in creating a, a existence where we're tested, where there's justice, but where we therefore have an opportunity to earn even greater connection, greater reward from God. And then we say, Hanora, the awesome one, um, which speaks of the, the everything coming together, sort of, the embodiment of perfection in all God's attributes. So we have the attribute of kindness, we have the attribute of justice, it comes together to create a picture of perfection, and that is awesome to us. That's awe-inspiring. We are awestruck. Um, so we say, we declare that God is simply awesome in, in his perfection. And, uh, and as we acknowledge all these great attributes of God, so, and we consider for a moment that he, yet he chose us to serve him. He chose us to give his Torah to. He wants a relationship with us. So we should be overcome by joy at that moment. So actually, the, the at least this section of, of, of the prayers is referred to as Rina. Rina, there's, there's 10 different types of prayer. You may do a class on this at some point, but uh, there's 10 different types of prayer. One of them is Rina. Rina is like a joyful prayer. And the, when we praise God, it's through, it's with joy. At this point, we're joyful. And part of what should bring us joy is if we reflect on this idea that you know the almighty master of the universe wants us to connect with him. He wants a relationship with us. He gifted us with his, with his Torah and that should help us become overcome with joy. <clears throat> so that's, that's review so far. That's, uh, and trying to apply what we've, what we've the, the general ideas and actually stick them into, into the words of the, of the prayers. Okay, now um, we're gonna, I'm gonna try to mix it up. So we're gonna break from liturgy. We'll come back to liturgy at the end, but I wanna think about another important, important question. So we, we mentioned on the first week, the idea that 
prayer is not easy for everybody. It doesn't come so easily. And the way it's expressed in the Talmud, this is like a new thing. It's always been a challenge. The way it's expressed, it's number one on the source sheet. It was on the source sheet. The first week is number one, that the that tefillah, prayer, is described as dvarim, words that stand birumo shalolam, in like the loftiest places of the world. So prayer is something that's extremely lofty. And yet the Talmud says people are mezalzel. They, so to speak, they disgrace it. They take it lightly. They don't give it the proper reverence. You don't take it seriously enough. That's what the Talmud says about prayer. And we, you know, I can speak for myself. It's true for me. I, uh, I get distracted. I space out. I think about other things. Um, and, uh, and I don't always give it the proper reverence. Sometimes we pray in a rush. Sometimes we feel like we just want to get out. It's not true for everybody, but for, you know, it, it can be, it can be difficult to, to do it properly. Rabbi? Yes. If you, if one spaces out during prayer, isn't that also a prayer that you're asking that, that you need help with this particular thing you're spacing out about? Well, it depends. It depends if you're spacing out and thinking about something that you're praying for. But if you're spacing out and thinking about, you know, what you had for dinner or what you're going to have for dinner and or why you're mad at someone or I don't know, you know, who won the baseball game, then I, I don't think that's a prayer. But you're right. If, if you're thinking about sort of if your mind travels to something else that's related to prayer, then I think I would agree with that. Unless you, do you mean something else? Well, I know sometimes I sort of space out thinking of all the things I need to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And so, they're, usually, they're usually things I need to accomplish for somebody else. Right. So I, I think that if, if we can, I don't know if I would call that prayer unless we're incorporating it into the mindset of prayer. If, it, if we're fitting it in and saying like, I'm thinking if the reason we're thinking about these things is because we are speaking to, to God and using this as, a, as an opportunity to connect with those things, to ask about those things, then I think that that's prayer. But if it's disconnected from God, I don't, I wouldn't think that that, I wouldn't call that prayer, but. Um, <clears throat> okay, so yeah, go ahead, Miriam. You have to unmute. I know. <laughs> Can they explain what it means, like lofty? Like, just, just like, how do they understand that? Okay, excellent question. We're going to offer a bit of an interpretation soon. In general, on the most simple level, we, it just gives us an appreciation that this is something that is you know important it's it should be very meaningful it's something that we're we're speaking to the almighty so it's lofty in that sense but we'll sort of come back and give an actual explanation for those words as we as we go thank you so uh, so why we asked this question the first week why why do we why do some people struggle with, with prayer? 
why is it hard? Why do we do it in a rush? Why do we space out? Whatever. Each person has their own has their own challenge. Or some people they're just it's just it's just not so interested, and that's their challenge. So so one of the ideas we suggested is it perhaps comes from just frustration or disillusionment. Disillusionment. I think that is a word. We're disillusioned from because we you know we we've been here before. We, we prayed, there's so many things now going on in the world that, that need our prayers and we don't always see the results and we get frustrated and we want to, we, we feel like we're not accomplishing anything when we pray. And so we get discouraged and we don't give it the same, the same attention or the same, the same respect as perhaps it deserves. So, we have to, I think, pose the question, two questions. Why does it seem like our prayers aren't being answered? And at times, you know, certainly at times our prayers are answered and, and it's important for us to recognize that. And, you know, there's the, the, the famous, there's a, probably like a bunch of jokes along these lines, but, you know, the guy, he's, uh, he's looking for a parking spot in, in downtown, you know, Manhattan, and he's circling around and around and around, and uh, he can't find a spot. It's like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. We've all been there before. I don't know about Manhattan, but you know, you've been in that spot before. You can't find a parking spot. Finally, he's like, okay, God, you know, if, if you help me find a parking spot, then, you know, I will commit myself to such and such. So, so and, he, and so all of a sudden moments later a car right literally like right in front of him pulls out of a spot he zips right in and he says actually god never mind i found one right so so if 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 when our prayer is answered we don't recognize that the prayer has been answered then certainly none of our prayers are ever answered right it's important to to realize and and be able to reflect and say oh my you know look you know thank you hashem thank you god for answering my prayer and not say oh never mind i don't need you anymore it's already taken care of so that's that's i think uh an important idea but but beyond that where we don't see you know we never see see the result so the first thing to 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 realize is that when we pray for something like we talked about last week, <clears throat> we, we are sometimes asking for something because we we're lacking it. God wants us to connect with him. And it could be that we haven't prayed enough yet. We have to keep praying. It could be that it's really not the best thing for us. We think it is. It's something that we, we desire, but ultimately God knows what is what is best for us and god may have other plans for us and what something that we desire so much may not be part of our mission in life and we may be denied something that we think we need or think that we want because just at the end of the day it's not it's not what's what's best for our soul what's best for us now i i think of the of the story of the founders of the organization Bone Olam. Bone Olam is a organization for um, for couples struggling with infertility. 
So I remember hearing the story um, told by one of the, by the, the husband, the founder um, named Rabbi Shlomo Bachner, he and his wife, um, Hani, were the founder, are the founders of this organization. And they didn't have any children and they went to every specialist, they try every treatment. And <clears throat> I think after about 18 years of marriage, they, the story, this story doesn't end where they finally had a baby. That's not how the story ends. The story ends, doesn't end. It really begins when they tried their, basically it was like the last chance and the treatment failed and they were on their way home, you know, all upset. And I think if I remember correctly, the, the wife, Hani said, you know, if, uh, if, what can we do now? You know, what can we do now? There's, there's nothing left to do. And she suddenly had the idea that maybe they can help other couples struggling with infertility and provide them not with just the financial resources, but really a lot of it is the, is the know-how, is the knowledge of where to go, what treatments are available, you know, who are the specialists, who are the best people to go to. And they, and she basically convinced her husband and they started this organization I don't remember how many years ago it was, but, uh, but since its inception, there have been 9,300 babies born from this organization. So here they thought, you know, for eight, I think it was 18 years that they were married. They, 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 they you know, they prayed and they daven and they, you know, hoping for children and it wasn't meant to be. And in their case, I think we, we can understand why, you know, they, their mission was something else. Their mission was something else. And their mission, ultimately they have, you know, 9,000 grand, you know, children or grandchildren or whatever you want to call them, you know, as a result. So, so each, uh, you know, each person, whatever the challenges that someone is dealing with, sometimes we don't have our prayer answered, but if, that, if that's the case, there's a reason for it. And there's something that, we have to respond to as a result or an opportunity that's presented to us, a different role for us it wasn't meant to be, you know, for, for many people, you know, a certain job doesn't work out. They, they, they thought it was be best and then something else come, it wasn't meant to be, right? That's, that's ultimately. So <clears throat> that's the most, uh, that's the why, you know, why wasn't it answered? We don't really know, you know, we're not God, but ultimately God knows what's, what should be answered, what shouldn't be answered. Um, but what happens to those prayers? And this is a really, a, I think, an even more significant question. I think we know that the why it's not answered. Sometimes the answer is no, right? Sometimes it's not the best. But does that mean that all those prayers went to waste? This is something that people really struggle for. You know, they have, they, they have a, a sick relative. They pour out their hearts. Now it's amazing. There's all these, uh, you know, now you have like WhatsApp groups and they just say to heal him, they say Psalms like round the clock for people, really unbelievable. And, you know, we pray that, that, that the person should be healed. And sometimes, you know, that's not what's in store. That's not what God has in mind. And we, we wonder like, you know, what did I waste my time for? What was all that, what happened to all those prayers? And that, that's something that can be discouraging for, for people. And that, that's where we have to realize that no prayer is ever wasted. 
And for sure, if we fit it back into to what we've talked about, the purpose of tefillah, the purpose of tefillah is to change ourselves. We, we hope that through changing ourselves, the, the world changes and people change and the situation changes and, and, and we see salvation. We see, we, see a, uh, we, see, we see a change, but sometimes we don't, but that doesn't mean that we haven't accomplished something. We have changed ourselves, we've prayed, we've hopefully connected deeper to this, to this idea that God is in control that God is the, is, is the one to turn to in times of need. And we've fulfilled the mitzvah, the commandment of, of prayer. And that itself has tremendous value to it. We, every mitzvah, every, every good deed that we perform has tremendous, tremendous power, tremendous value. And, um, and we are accomplishing the whole purpose of the world by bringing ourselves closer to God through those prayers. So there's something very significant being accomplished, whether we see the answer, um, we see the prayer answered the way that we hoped or whether we don't, we've still accomplished something. The prayer hasn't been wasted. But not only that, but the other thing is that sometimes the prayer, or I would say always, you know, the, the, the prayer isn't wasted. There, it, it's going to be used in some fashion, somewhere, you know, in, in some way. So for example, um, if you look on the source sheet, so when uh, God is, is, is preparing to destroy the city of Sodom for their sins, so the, the verse says, in Bracious, um, and the Lord said, and God said, shall I conceal from Abraham what I am doing? Should I conceal from Abraham what I'm about to do? I have to tell him. And, and he basically gives Abraham the opportunity to pray for Sodom. And the verse goes on. It says, and Abraham will become a great and powerful nation and all the nations of the world will be blessing him. And then God tells Abraham what he's, what he's going to do to Sodom. And Abraham prays. And ultimately, it doesn't help. God still destroys Sodom. So what is this? about and the god said shall i conceal and avram will become a great and powerful nation what does one have to do with the other why is it mentioning over here that god that uh that avram is going to become a great and powerful nation so the magid of dubna the dubna magid the dubna storyteller answers in his way with a parable and the parable he gives is as follows he says there were once two merchants traveling. One was more elderly and he had not had children for many years and he had recently been blessed with, with, with one child, with, with a child. So he had an elderly merchant who had one child and he had a young merchant traveling with him who had many young children and he was still young himself. And they come to a certain city and they enter a shop and uh, the older merchant is looking at the different uh, materials and the different clothing that they're selling. And he says, I really like to buy an outfit for my child, but I'm concerned that it won't fit him. And the younger merchant starts taking clothes off the rack and, uh, and 
goes to pay. He has a whole pile of, of, uh, of outfits for his, for his children. And the older one asks him, aren't you concerned that they won't fit? Yeah, how can you just, you know, without trying them on? Like, how can you just buy so many outfits for your children? So the younger one replied, for you, that's a valid concern because you have only one child. And if it doesn't fit him, then you have nothing to do with it. But I have sev several children and I might even have more. So if the garment doesn't fit one of them, then it will fit another one. So I have plenty to do with it. So that's the, that's the parable. And the, the lesson of the parable is that God knew that if he would share his plan with Avraham, then that he was going to destroy the city of Sodom, then Avraham would pray. And he'd pray for the salvation of Sodom. And, and but God also knew that prayers were not going to go anywhere with this. So God was firm. Sodom was going to be destroyed. And there was no, not, no change was going to happen. So, but God says, but I still don't need to conceal it from him. I should still reveal it to him because he will pray. And since he's going to become a great and mighty nation, so then if those prayers aren't applied now for Sodom, then they'll be applied later for his descendants. So the lesson, the idea, the connection was that God says, God says, although, you know, the, I, I'm going to reveal to Abraham what's going to happen with Sodom, he's going to pray. But those prayers won't go to waste because Avram is going to be a great and mighty nation. And I will take those prayers and store them and use them for Avraham's descendants. The idea is that sometimes we don't see the result of a prayer or, or and sometimes we do eventually, but not immediately. For example, Moshe. Moshe, Moses is told by God, you may not, you're not going to enter the land of Israel. And Moshe prays and prays and prays and prays. And he's not answered, meaning he, he, God does not allow him to enter the land of Israel. But what God does allow him to do is to see the land of Israel. So in part, his prayer was answered. So sometimes a prayer is answered in a different way than we might expect. Sometimes it's only answered later. Right? We may pray for a sick person, and it doesn't help for that person, but it may help to prevent someone else from getting sick or it may help for someone else. We don't know, but, but no prayer is wasted. We don't always see where it's applied. And this comes back to what Miriam was asking before, uh, the idea of the, the, the way the, the Talmud says it is they, they, these words stand in the loftiest places. So what the idea is that the way the Baal Shem Tov explains it is that sometimes we don't see the impact of our prayers in this world. These are word, words, prayers stand in the loftiest of places. In other words, sometimes they, they're, the effect that they have can only be seen in heaven. We don't see the effect on earth, at least not right away. And, uh, <clears throat> and therefore we sometimes disgrace them. We, we don't treat them properly because we don't realize the, the tremendous impact that they have. But in fact, those prayers can rock the heavens and the results may not come immediately. 
They may, we may not see them. We not, may not be able to, to, to realize the impact that they're having, but in fact, they could, they could still, they will have some effect either in a different way than we expect or at a later time. There's a, there's a, a story that's told of a, a group of people, nine men who were trying to gather a minion. They were trying to, to, to daven together in a small shtibel, a small shul in Tel Aviv. And they needed a 10th man for the minion. So one of them went outside to the street and he started, you know, when you need a minion, you say, Asiri, Asiri, a 10th, a 10th, we need a 10th. Or in Yiddish, at center, at center, we need a 10th. And uh, the, there's only one guy in the street. And he was a young, secular Israeli and uh, walking down a street in Tel Aviv, didn't look religious at all. And the, the, the man from the shul ran over to him and he said, you know, can you, he explained, we really need a 10th man for the, for the minion. And the guy was like, no, thank you. You know, I'm not interested. So he pleaded with him, please, we really need you. So finally, the guy relented, he felt bad, and he joined for the minion. And it was actually his first time ever attending a service. And he was blown away by it. He was inspired. And he had been he reached out to before by Lev La'achim, which is an outreach organization in Israel. And they had reached out to this young man in the past to see if he would be interested in a, in a, in a chavrusa, in a study partner. And he always turned it down. And following this inspirational experience of attending this, this just this one, it was like a mincha on a regular day, just an afternoon service. He was inspired and he accepted to have a, uh, to, to, uh, to have a study partner. And eventually, as a result of that, he turned his whole life around and became fully observant. Now, this guy, this young man, was from an extremely secular, anti-religious community in Israel. And when word got out that this boy from this family had become religious, the, the, uh, the other members of this community were not impressed. And they, they turned to the boy's father and they said, you know, how did you let this happen? Like, where did you go wrong that uh, your son became, became observant? And the father said that it had nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me. He says, I know what happened. What happened was, is that when, when my parents came over from Europe with, I think even the father had, 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 had immigrated from Europe. He said, my, my, my father, this is the, the father of the, the boy in the story, but uh, he said, my, my father, he clung to his Judaism. He, 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 he would not give it up. And, but I, I had no interest in this old fashioned, uh, old fashioned religion. I dropped it and I moved to this, this community because I wanted to make sure that my family had nothing to do with it, would be totally secular. And uh, I really wanted nothing to do with it. But when my son walked past that shul that day, it wasn't just any shul. That was the shul that my father had prayed in day after day after day. 
And it was, and he said, I'm certain, this is a non-believing secular Israeli talking about his son. He said, I'm certain that it was the prayers of my father in that shul that awakened my son. So that father had prayed all those prayers and not seen the results, you know, in his own child, but the results were eventually seen in, uh, in, in, his, in his grandson. And the, the, this, this idea actually was expressed by one of the great, great rabbis in Israel in the, the middle of the, of the 20th century that known as the, the Chazonish. The Chazonish was a great rabbi in, in Bnei Brak in Israel. And there was a time where they saw a wave of young, young people in Israel from very secular backgrounds, secular kibbutzes coming back, returning to, to Judaism and, and starting to learn again. And, and they, they, they asked the, the Chazonish, they asked him like, you know, why is this happening? It seems so out of nowhere. And this was exactly the Chazonish's answer, like literally this story. He said, the reason why it's happening is because the, the, the grandparents of these, these young people who are coming back to Judaism, they shed tears, they prayed and prayed for their, for their children to remain on the path. He said, the children though, were making their own choice to, 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 to go in a different direction. The prayers couldn't help for those, for those children. That's how, what he said at least. And what he said, but for the grandchildren, the, the, prayers, the prayers can help. And so but the, the point for us right now, at least, is, uh, is this idea that we, we don't necessarily see, always see the results right away of our prayer. It, see, it might seem that, uh, that it's, going, it's just lost and it was, it was wasted, but no prayer is ever wasted. And every prayer accomplishes something and uh, it accomplishes something for ourselves. And it also, uh, it can also bring about a result in an unexpected way, either later on or in a bit of a different direction than we had anticipated, but no prayer is ever wasted. So we should never become discouraged. We should never be disillusioned or frustrated. We don't see results because there are results. We just don't always see them. Okay. <clears throat> um, back to, a little bit more allergy. Yeah, go ahead, Miriam. Hiya. Yes, Rabbi, I, I think deep inside, we know that God hears every prayer. And mm -hmm. even when we don't see it happening, right. we know deep inside that he hears the prayer. That's great. And great. we most of the uh, sometimes come to each other with kind word to assure each other that it will happen. It means that deep inside we know that mm -hmm. God hears us and it will happen. We don't know when. Right. Beautiful. Thank you. Okay. So we're going to try to go through now the second half of the first blessing of the Shemona Esrei. And again, try to apply as much of, uh, the, again, as, as much as we can build on the ideas that, we're, that we've been discussing so I think we're up to the words um, most high almighty, kel elyon. So we, after describing these various attributes of God is great in kindness, God is, is, is mighty or powerful in, 
in, in, in justice and creating a system where there can be justice and there could be reward that's earned. And God is no rug, God is awesome and perfect in the combination of all those attributes. But then we say something that's very fundamental, which is that he's the most high almighty. And what that could mean is that at the end of the day, we have to realize that we don't really know how to describe God's essence. God is really beyond our comprehension in terms of trying to describe God and trying to understand his ways. We can never really fully, we can't grasp God fully. We use words to describe him in the way that we observe how he interacts with the world, how the Torah teaches that he interacts with the world. But we have to know that at the end of the day, we can never really grasp God's essence. And that's expressed by Kel El Yon. He's, he's the God on high, you know, almighty, the translates, but it, it's like most high, that this is be, really beyond our comprehension. After that, once we've, we've talked about the attributes, then we move on to, to now describe the conduct that we, that, that we can observe in the world. And that starts with gomel chasadim tovim, which cuts back to God's kindness. It means he bestows beneficent kindness. He bestows kindness. And, um, and this is an expression of, <clears throat> before we described God as kind, that was a description, a, uh, an adjective, I guess. This is, a, this is a verb. This is describing the conduct of God in the world as bestowing kindness, um, the provider of all good in the world, something that we can, we can appreciate and is important. Again, we're building up to start later, be able to ask God and make requests. So we first have to, be, to, to, to clarify for ourselves that, that God is capable, God is wanting to, to bestow kindness and God does bestow kindness. And then we say which could mean that he's the owner of everything, the acquirer of everything, which means everything in the world belongs to God. He can provide whatever we lack. We're, we're, we're building up this knowledge. He's kone hakol. He's, he's the acquirer of everything. He's the owner of all that exists. Whatever I, I, I need, God can, God can provide for me. Zocher chastei avos, which means he remembers the piety, the kindnesses of the forefathers. And here what we're saying is that we, we have all the, we want to ask for all these things, but maybe we feel that we're undeserving and maybe we are undeserving, but that's okay. We can still ask because God remembers the kindness of our forefathers. And if we don't have the merit, so we can, we have the merit of our, of our forefathers to lean on. So as we, again, as we get ready to, to make our, our requests, we shouldn't feel that we can't because we're not worthy because we still have something to, to lean on. We have the merits of our forefathers. And then we say, He brings the Redeemer to their children's children. So I think at the most simple level, the Redeemer here we're talking about is Mashiach, is the Messiah. And this is a, a hope, an acknowledgement that again, we're, we're, we're in the praise section of the tefillah. We're not um, praying for things. We're not asking for things at this point. So when we, when we say God provides kindness, we're not 
we're not requesting kindness. We're praising God for it. And it's important to recognize that. Like I said before, this is rena. This is joyful. This is praise of God. So we're not yet asking for those kindnesses. We're just acknowledging and real life clarifying for ourselves that God is the source of kindnesses. So here also, may we go el, he brings redemption. He brings the redeemer to their children. Um, we're, we're expressing the idea that we're part of a process. You know, we just said God remembers the, the acts of our forefathers. Again, we might be put off and say, listen, if God didn't bring the redemption in the, in the days of the prophets, if God didn't bring the redemption in the days of the, of the sages of the Mishnah and the Talmud or in the great rabbis like Rashi and Rambam, like, why, you know, how is it going to happen now? But we are, but, but we were, this is in the present tense. God brings that there's a buildup going on. We're part of a, we're part of a chain and we're working towards something. And so um, it's a cumulative process and, and the, 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 the prayers and the good deeds are accumulating. And so we praise God and recognize that God is one who can bring redemption at any time. And while again, at the most simple level, I think this refers to the ultimate redemption to the, to the Mashiach, it can also talk about individual redemptions, individual salvations on a daily basis. We're gonna have a blessing soon in one of the first blessings, first few blessings in the Shemona Esrei is calls God a redeemer or one who brings salvation. And there it's not talking about the ultimate salvation. It's talking about daily salvation from daily struggles. And, uh, and so here it can also refer to that. So, so if we're going to be praying for, for help from daily struggles, this is something that a, a moment where we can focus on, again, not that we're going to ask God for salvation at this point. We're going to acknowledge and clarify at this moment that God is one who brings salvation. And that I'm speaking to the right, the right one. And, and therefore, when I come to that blessing a little bit later, I'll be able to then ask God with sincerity for help and for salvation from whatever struggle I'm dealing with. <clears throat> and then we say, Lema'an Shimo, for the sake of his name. And what that means is that even if we don't have the merit, I mean, even if the merits of our forefathers are not enough to bring it about, but still salvation can come for the sake of God's name, because God has, has a mission for this world. And ultimately God is going to bring the world to a place where the world recognizes him. So if it's not because of my own merits, if it's not because of the merit of the forefathers, it will still, we, we still feel that we can ask for salvation for, for, for God's name, because God will, God wants to bring the world to a place where we recognize where the whole world recognizes him. And even still, it will be bi'ahava. Even then, it will still be with love. No matter how it comes, whether it's deserved, whether it's not deserved, whether it's just because God, you know, we didn't really make it happen, but, but God did it for the sake of his name. But still, we're, we, we, we are assured that it will still be with love. And so also, when, whatever we're going to be asking for, Whatever kind of salvation, God will grant it with love, you know, if, if it's right for us. God wants what's, you know, God, God wants to bestow good on us. So it will be the ahava, will be with love. And now we come to something very interesting. We now say, 
a series of descriptions. We say Melech, he's the king. He's, and then on the top of the next page, he's Ozer, he's a helper. Moshia, a deliverer or a, a sa savior, saver. Umagain, and a shield, a protector. So we have these four descriptions. Melech is kind of introductory. The, the king acknowledges that God controls all. The world is his kingdom, so to speak. And then we have these three descriptions. Ozer, Moshia, Umagain. He's a helper, he's a deliverer, and he's a shield. So the Vilna Gong has a beautiful explanation of these three ideas. And they speak to three different kinds of scenarios. The first is God is a helper. What does a helper imply? It implies that we are playing a role and God is assisting us in that role. So this refers to scenarios where we are expected to do what we call hishtadlut, right? To putting our own efforts and God helps bring those efforts to fruition. And ultimately, if there's any fruition from those efforts, it's, it's because of God. But we see God as helpers. So, so there are certain scenarios in life where we are expected to initiate, to try to earn ourselves a living and not just sit on the couch and trust that it will come to us. You know, if somebody really had that ultimate level of, of, and of sincere um, trust in God, maybe for such a person. But most people don't. So, so we can't just be lazy and say, it will come. We have to put an effort to provide for ourselves. Um, finding a, a mate. You know, we can't just sit back and say it will come. We have to put in an effort to do that. And certainly in overcoming our Yetzer Hara, our evil inclination, we have to put in the effort. And if we put in the effort, then God assists us. So that's Ozer. That's God as a helper. God is also a Moshia. A second level is a savior. And this refers to situations where we're not able to initiate and putting any effort. It's just out of our hands. And yet still, we, we know, we acknowledge here that God can still help us in those situations and provide salvation. So there are scenarios in life where we just don't, there's nothing we can do except for pray, right? And in those scenarios, again, here we acknowledge that God is Moshiach. God can save us in those scenarios. And the third is Magain, a shield. And the shield is when we're in danger, so to speak. It could be literal danger. And that is where we've actually gone beyond, where now it's not just that we can't, we, we can't help ourselves, but what we're doing is counterproductive, so to speak, where let's say a, there are certain scenarios where a person is required to give up their life you know, to, to sanctify God's name, certain scenarios. We're, what we're doing is almost counterproductive to our own health, our own benefit, but yet we, we, we say God is a shield and God protects. So again, these aren't prayers, these are praises that as we prepare ourselves to pray and to ask God, we, 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 we praise God and we acknowledge and we clarify for ourselves that God is Ozer, he's a helper. When I initiate effort in situations where I'm able to initiate effort, he's a Moshia in, a case, in situations where it's out of my hands. God still can, even in those situations, I'm gonna to turn to God and pray, you know, certainly in those situations. And, and Magain, he's a protect, protector even 
in scenarios where it seems outside outside of our of our hands. And then we close actually on this this blessing. We close with blessed are you or you are the source of blessing Magen Avraham, the protector, the shield of Avraham. And that's the last of those three, which I, I think is the, the highest level of acknowledgement of God's power, where even when it looks like we are acting counterproductive, again, we're not, I mean, I'm not talking about that we're supposed, to, we're supposed to put ourselves in a dangerous situation deliberately and say, oh, God will save me. But in a situation where that's appropriate, even still, we trust, we know that God can still shield us and protect us. And that's, that's the highest level of, uh, of reliance on God. And that's how we close the blessing. And we say in connection with Avraham, because Avraham in many situations in his life was faced with, with these types of scenarios. You know, famously, he was, the Midrash teaches us, he was thrown into a fire for, for, uh, for refusing to bow to idols. And various scenarios where he was, he, he was put, his life was at risk when he goes to save his nephew Lot, different scenarios in his life where he really had to, he had to do the right thing, putting himself at risk and rely on God to save him. So that's how we, that's how we close the blessing with this highest level of, of acknowledgement of, of God's ability to, to save us. So I think these three final ideas are very powerful to, to close the blessing. And again, we're, we're, we're opening with praise to get us to this clarity, to get us to this idea that I'm turning to God because he's the one who can, who can help. He's the one who can save. He's the one who can shield that whether it's something that I need to initiate effort, I need God to help me with bringing that effort to fruition. And I'm going to ask God for sustenance. I'm going to ask God for, to help with those needs. Whether it's something that's out of my hands, I'm, I'm going to turn to God. And even in situations where it seems like I'm, you know, being acting counterproductive to salvation, but if that's the appropriate behavior, I still trust that and rely on God to shield me in those situations. And then when I, so when I now will go and pray for those things, I will do so from a deeper place, do so with more feeling and with the, you know, a, a, a deep belief that I've come to the, to the right place to, to pray for that. Okay, we'll hold it there. <clears throat> Thank you, Rabbi Shaps. Sure.